Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from the series, Jonah, God's Mission in the World. Here's Pastor Nick. Okay, this morning we're beginning a new series in the book of Jonah. So if you would please grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah. If you need a Bible to follow along, we probably got a few more in the back. You can put your hand up. We'll make sure you get one. If you like to read the Bible on your phone, then we encourage you to use the YouVersion Bible app just because if you go into the menu and click on events, you can follow along with these notes that are up on the screen, plus usually some extra stuff as well that you can see in there and you can take notes and share stuff. So it's just a great way to do that. Uh, for those of you who aren't sure where the book of Jonah is, I encourage you, you know, look in the front of your Bible. There's an index there, a table of contents. You can find the page number. Turn there. It's just next to Obadiah, if that helps. But if you, probably, if you don't know where Jonah is, you probably don't know where Obadiah is either. So anyway, those of you who are, have the phone, you got an advantage here because you just kind of scroll through till you find that thing, right? The story of Jonah is a story that everybody knows, but nobody knows in the sense that it's the story that everybody's heard, right? Everybody knows the story of Jonah, the guy who got swallowed by the big fish. Yet I think that few people really understand this story and why it's so important in the Bible and why it's so important for us today. The book of Jonah is one of the best places in the Bible where we can go to see what Christianity is all about, what the Christian message is and what Christianity is all about. It's a book which shows us God's heart for the world and what our part is in his mission. So we're gonna begin this morning by reading our text which comes from Jonah chapter one, and then we're going to break it down and study it. So let's begin by reading Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish." And they said to one another, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered vows and a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this story of Jonah. Lord, would you help us to understand it? Help us to understand what it means for us and what it means, Lord, the picture that it is of Jesus in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see that. We pray that you'd help us to learn things from this text that we can apply to our lives. Lord, that we might walk with you, that we might bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, that we might live in the way that you want us to live and answer the callings that you put on our lives. So we pray that we would hear your word, that it would sink from our brains down into our hearts and that it would truly have its transformative effect on our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever known that there was something that God wanted you to do, but you didn't want to do it? Maybe for different reasons, maybe because it was hard, maybe because doing so would necessitate you giving up something that you didn't want to get up, give up. But either way, have, have you ever known that God wanted you to do something, but you didn't want to do it? That was the case with Jonah. You know, our theme as, for the year as a church has been this theme of moving forward to what lies ahead. And, and we've been praying about what that means for us as a church as a whole. What are the next steps for us? We don't just want to settle in where we're at. We want to keep pressing forward because we want to see all of God's dreams for us as a church fulfilled. But we've also been encouraging you to ask that question yourselves. Lord, what is my next step as your disciple? Some of you uh, are taking that next step. You're going to be baptized today. Others of you are going on a mission trip. We're going to be praying for our mission team next Sunday. For others of you, the next step might be the integration of your faith and your work. For others of you, it's going to be some form of generosity or service. For others of you, it's going to be an area of your life in which God wants to work. For some of you, the next step is actually to take the first step and to put down your yes and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. Here in the book of Jonah, we meet a man who uh, was called by God to do something that he didn't want to do. He prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? How do I move forward to what's ahead? And then God told him, and he was like, uh, well, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, really, anything else, uh, I was expecting you to say something like, read my Bible more or, or be nicer to my mother-in-law, but I wasn't expecting this. I mean, I, I would have done those other things. That would have been fine, but this is too much. I don't know if I can do this. If you want me to do something else, I mean, I'll, I'll totally do it. I mean, probably. Hey, I can't promise anything, but I'll probably do it. See, the reason that Jonah's in the Bible is because we are a lot like him. And that's where we have to begin as we read this story, that we're a lot more like Jonah than we are unlike Jonah. That's the baseline understanding we have to have before we read the story. This story is two things. It's both a mirror and a window. It's a mirror which shows us what we, we look like sometimes. And it's a window which gives us a glimpse into God's amazing grace and, and a glimpse at his incredible love for us as well as his mission in the world and his calling on our lives. The title of today's message is Called to Go. And there are three important things that we see here in this first chapter that we can learn from. The first one is we see a confusing calling, a confusing calling. Secondly, we see how to find out what's really in your cellar. And thirdly, we're gonna talk about calming the storm. So let's begin by talking about this confusing calling. It says in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now this phrase, the word of the Lord came to such and such a person. So the word of the Lord came to this person or that person. This is a technical Hebrew phrase. It's only found in the Old Testament and it's only used in regard to the Hebrew prophets, the prophets of Israel. In other words, uh, it describes what their job was, what their calling was, and, and what their function was. They were to speak and communicate a message from God 
to the people. So this is why we read about almost every single prophet. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord uh, came to Zechariah, Zephaniah, even Samuel, the prophet. It describes the function and the calling of a prophet to receive a message from God and then to speak that message forth for other people. So when we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what that means is that Jonah was a prophet. In other words, that was his vocation. He was a prophet. That was his identity, his vocation, his ministry. It was, his, it was who he was. He was a prophet. In fact, he's even listed in the book of 2 Kings. You know where they list all the different kings and they list the different prophets? Well, uh, Jonah is listed there in 2 Kings as a prominent prophet who lived during the time of King Jeroboam II of Israel. We'll talk about why that's important in a second. But then it says in verse three, so first of all, he's a prophet. That's his vocation, it's his identity, it's his profession. And then we read something interesting. It says that God spoke to him, called him to do something. In verse three, then it says that Jonah ran away. Now, I want you to understand, putting those two together, what this means is that this was not just a simple act of, of disobedience. This is a resignation. Jonah is quitting his job. This is his vocation. He's saying, I don't wanna be a prophet anymore. I quit, I'm done, I'm moving somewhere else. And so the question is, why would Jonah do that? Why would he give up this vocation, this calling? Well, it's because God called him to do something which he did not want to do. God called him to go to Nineveh. So Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is actually, the ruins of Nineveh are still there. They're in northern Iraq. They're still there to this day. According to ancient historians, at this time, Nineveh was the largest city in the world. It was somewhere around 600,000 people. We're going to talk about that more as we go through the book where we get that number. But it was around 600,000 people who lived in the city of Nineveh. It was the largest city in the world at this time. And God called Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah would have been very surprised and he would have been very confused that God would tell him to do this for a number of reasons. I'm going to give you five reasons reasons why this was a confusing calling. Number one, it was extremely dangerous. So Assyria was Israel's biggest rival politically, militarily in the region. It was an empire that was also famous for its brutality. They were violent and they were known for their brutality. Historians and archaeologists attest to this. They tell us that the Assyrians practiced human sacrifices. They practiced torture They've even found uh, furniture as they've excavated. They found furniture made of human skin. They found um, pyramids built of human skulls. They, they found ancient drawings in Nineveh that show people's eyes being gouged out and hooks being put into their cheeks so that they can be led around like animals with these hooks in their faces. Probably the greatest parallel we have in our day to this would be ISIS. And here's what's really interesting. Nineveh is located in the modern day city. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Mosul, Iraq. Until very recently, Mosul was the largest city under ISIS control. So try to put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Imagine if God called you to put on your Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA t-shirt and your Make America Great Again hat. And he called you to hop on a plane and go over to Mosul, Iraq and gather up all the ISIS guys. And, uh, you know, just tell them, Guys, Jesus loves you, but unless you repent of your sins and put your faith in him, you're all going to hell. And, uh, you know, who wants to sign up for that mission trip? It'd actually be probably one of the more affordable mission trips because you'd only need to buy a one-way ticket and you wouldn't have to worry about, like, food or housing or anything because you'd be dead, right? Like, so uh, another reason this was a confusing calling 
is because it didn't make any sense politically, right? From an Israeli perspective, this doesn't make any sense politically. Jonah lived during the time of King Jeroboam II, as I mentioned before. Now, this was a very prosperous time in Israel's history. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. See, during Jeroboam II's reign, uh, Israel was expanding its borders very quickly. You know, Israel reached its height as a nation under the rule of Solomon. And then after that, the kingdom split into two factions, the north and the south. And then they kind of went into a decline. Both sides did. But especially the north. They lost a lot of land. They got taken over. People attacked them. But during the reign of King Jeroboam, they did just the opposite. They started expanding again. They started getting stronger. They started becoming really a, a important and powerful country in that region. And their biggest rival was the Assyrian Empire. But God calls them, rather than attacking Assyria, God calls Jonah to take them a message. And this message inherently has an offer of mercy in it. See, he tells them to go and call out against them for their sins and turn to him. But see, here's the thing. If they repent of their sins, inherent to this message implied in this is that if they repent, God will show them mercy and he will not judge them and destroy them. Now, that's not really in the best interest of Israel politically because if God were to destroy Nineveh and Assyria in judgment, well, that would leave Israel as the most powerful nation in the region and no rivals to worry about. So for Israel, that'd be great if God did that. But apparently it would seem that God cares more about people than he does about politics. That's really important because I think that sometimes, you know, we can care more about politics than we care about people. So here's what's interesting. 40 years later, about 40 years after this, the Assyrians would conquer Israel and they would carry off the Israelites into captivity. See, if God had destroyed Nineveh at this time, that never would have happened. But here's the thing. God cared more about the souls of the Assyrians and wanting to see them saved and shown mercy. Another reason why this was a confusing calling was because it just didn't seem fair for him to offer mercy to these people who deserve judgment. See, one of Jonah's hesitations in going to Nineveh, it'll become especially clear as we go on. One of his hesitations in going to Nineveh is he feels very torn about this whole thing. If there was ever a place that deserved God's judgment, it was Nineveh. I mean, I just mentioned a few things that the people there did. They're evil things. Jonah, on the one hand, he knows what God wants him to do. But here's the thing. If he goes and he does it and they do repent and they don't kill him, which I guess there's a small chance that that could happen, but it's still a chance, then that means that God isn't going to judge the Ninevites and the Assyrians for all the evil things they've done. Now, maybe he thought, but you know, if I don't tell them about this offer of grace and mercy, well, then they won't repent and then everybody wins, right? God will judge them and I just prefer that God would do that. So he says, you know, if God forgives them though and he doesn't judge them, it just seems unfair. It seems like they kind of just get away with all the stuff that they've done with no repercussions. How is that fair? Where's the justice in that? I think a lot of people feel this way about uh, about forgiveness. This is one of the reasons why people hesitate to forgive others because they feel that if you forgive somebody who has hurt them or sinned against them, it's almost as if they're letting that person get away with it. It's almost as if they're saying that what you did was, was no big deal. 
that, that it was fine, that it, just don't worry about it, you know? That, and, and the fact is that it was a big deal. And they say, well, I, that's why I'm hesitant to forgive. I feel like I'm, there's no justice in that. I feel like the person's getting away with it. One of the great promises of the Bible is that God is just. And even if we don't see it in our lifetime, there will be justice because nothing is hidden from his eyes. And God will deal justly with every person and with every hurtful action and with every wrongdoing. But then the Bible also says that for those who turn to the Lord, he will give them mercy. And this kind of creates a problem. In fact, it's one of the biggest kind of problems or tensions that's created in the Old Testament. Because here's the thing. The definition of justice is giving someone what they deserve. And on the other hand, the definition of mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Do you see the problem there? So think about this. These two things are diametrically opposed. Like by definition, if you show someone mercy, you are not acting justly. There's no way around it. I mean, it's the definition. So if the Ninevites do repent and God has mercy on them, isn't that in a way a travesty of justice? That they did all these terrible things and then they're not going to be judged for them? And so part of what makes this calling so confusing is that it brings up this question, which again, like I said, a lot of the Old Testament seems to be wrestling with this question. How, how can this be that God is both just and merciful at the same time? Is God just? You know, this is what the Old Testament writers are kind of struggling with. But is God just? And they'll say, yes, God is just, absolutely. Uh, but is God merciful? Oh yeah, definitely. God is merciful to those who turn to him. But the problem is that by definition, those two things are opposed to each other. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Another reason why this was a confusing calling is because something like this had never been done before. So God had called the people of Israel to be a light to the nations. And, and what that meant in large part was that God gave them his law. He shaped their culture. He told them that he wanted to be, them to be a worshiping people who worshiped him and followed him. And as a result, they lived in a way that was so different and so wonderful and so good that other people, other nations of the world would look at them and take notice of who they were and the way that they lived and they would want what Israel had and they would want to know Israel's God. You could call this an attractional model to relating to other people, right? So it's the attractional model. Jesus talked about this himself. He put it this way. Let your light so shine before other people that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He's talking about the attractional model. Let other people see your life, see how you live for God, so that they will glorify God as a result. In other words, love God, worship God, let your relationship with God be so vibrant, so life-giving, so that people will desire what you have, and they'll say, I want what he has, I want what she has. That's the attractional model. Now, for a long time in, in the history of Israel, this was the way that they related to other nations and other people. And to a degree, it worked. I mean, it says in the book of 1 Kings, for example, that in the time of King Solomon, the queen of Sheba, which is in Ethiopia, she sent a delegation to Israel to find out more about their practices and their religion and their God and who they worshiped. And there are, even to this day, Jewish Ethiopians who trace their heritage, their Jewishness, all the way back to the queen of Sheba and her trip to visit Solomon. And in fact, I've met some of these Ethiopian Jews. And also another thing you should know about them is that many of them became Christians uh, around the time of Jesus in the centuries afterwards. Another thing that Israel did, God told them, build a city. And this city will be called Jerusalem, which means the city of peace, the city of shalom, the city of harmony. And here's what the names that Jerusalem was given. It was called the joy of all the earth. 
and it was called the dwelling place of the name of God. In other words, if you want to know God, if you want to meet God, then you need to come over here and you can meet him. It's the attractional model. But see, now God is doing something different with Jonah. God is calling Jonah to do something different. He's calling him to go, not, not to attract, but to go as a foreign missionary to another country. And God gives him a message that he wants him to give them. Rather than being attractional, this is a new model. We could call it the missional model, right? So rather than waiting for people to come to you, you go to them. Jonah was the first missionary, but he certainly wouldn't be the last. So let me ask you this, which one is better? Because people argue about this all the time. Should churches be attractional or should churches be missional? The answer is they should absolutely be both. How about you and me as individuals? Should we be attractional or should we be missional? It's not an either or, it's a both and. We need both. See, Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But in the very same breath, you know what else he said? He said, you are also salt. You are the salt of the earth. And the thing about salt that's different than light, right? So light can work from a distance, but salt doesn't. Salt has to be right up there in it, right? Salt only works when it's rubbed up, rubbed up against something. It has to be in close proximity. And these two metaphors, salt and light, they are a picture of the ways that God wants, us, wants to use us in the world to share his love and to share the knowledge of him and his truth with, with people. So on the one hand, we're called to be attractional, drawing people to God by the way that we live and, and ab- as they observe how the gospel changes our lives and makes us unique and different. It gives us different values. It gives us a hope that no one else has, even in the midst of whatever trials or difficulties life might throw at us. But on the other hand, we're also called to be missional, which means that we're called to go. Jesus was the ultimate missionary. He left his home. He went to a foreign land called by the Father. And Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, so now I also send you. And he said, I want you to go. Go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the earth. And I want you to be my witnesses. Tell the whole world who I am and what I've done in your life. First nearby and then then a little bit further out and even to the ends of the earth. You see, salt has an effect only by getting up close, having close proximity, by making direct contact. Now, I want you to ask yourself this. What would it look like for you to be salt and light? Both of those things. What would it look like for you to be salt and light in your workplace, in the relationships that you have? You know, again, as a church, I said, we want to be both of those things. We want to be attractional, right? So we want people to be able, we want to say to people, come here and learn about God. Come here and worship God and meet God. We want to be attractional. We want to create also another way that we're attractional. We want to create a community of people who live so differently. People who, whereas the world is tearing down, people who build up, people who love God, people who love each other. It's a passionate, engaged, spiritually healthy Christian community where people show each other grace, where we build each other up. But at the same time, we don't just want to be attractional. We also want to be missional, right? So we want to take the gospel out of these walls to people wherever they're at. 
If they're not going to come in here, we're going to take it to them, right? That's why we do things like our, our big Easter outreach. That's why we do foreign missions. That's why we do our radio ministry. That's why we have booths set up at festivals here in town so that we can meet people who live here so we have an opportunity to talk to them, build a relationship with them, and share with them the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And again, if you want to be part of that, we have tons of opportunities, and I really encourage you to do that because, again, attractional and missional, salt and light, so along with doing that as a church, again, we, we encourage you to do those things on an individual level as well. For Jonah, though, understand, this was completely out of the box. This, this wasn't a paradigm that he had. Nothing like this had ever been done before. So that's why it was a confusing calling. The, the, the last reason that I'll point out to you as to why this was so confusing is because he just didn't want to do it. And Jonah didn't like the Assyrians. He didn't like their culture. He thought that they were just a terrible group of people. And he didn't want anything to do with them. And at one point on, later on in this book, Jonah says to God, listen, God, if you're not going to kill them, then please kill me. Like, I'd, I'd rather die than live in a world where people like this are, are also believers. In other words, what he's saying is, if, if these people are going to be in heaven, I'd rather be in hell. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like this. You know, God will never call you to do something without giving you the desire to do it. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 